0: Praise the Lord, everybody. This is Father Michael. I'm here uh, at the Ablaze House of Prayer Chapel. I'm excited to continue some reflections with you on the real presence of Jesus in the Holy Eucharist. He's here with us now um, on the altar. Lord, we just thank you for your love for us in this room right now, in this uh, moment of reflection as you pour your love, Jesus, into the hearts of the homes that are watching this reflection. As you pour your holy love and presence into marriages, into families, into the workplaces, Lord. Jesus, bring the treasures you've won for us on the cross and your resurrection. I'm into this time of reflection and prayer. Come Holy Spirit, come. So what I'd like to reflect on a little bit with you today is I want to talk a little bit about um, the historical basis for the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. You know, our bishops, as you know, and maybe you don't know, but like, have invited the whole church throughout the world, or especially in the United States, is this time of Eucharistic revival. Eucharistic revival. I just love those words, because ablaze, in many ways, is just that. We put Jesus on the altar, and we worship, and we adore Him, and we glorify and we use song we use praise we use music we use worship we praise the lord you know and and there's adoration chapels all over the world and and when we come to that adoration chapel again jesus longs to hear your voice say jesus i love you you know you're like some people say well he knows that well you know it's good to hear it god remember he's the god man he wants to hear you say jesus i love you jesus you're my best friend and so i'm excited offer some of these reflections to hopefully build your faith in the real presence as we looked um, at the last time i spoke about the exodus um, from egypt uh, through the lamb the lamb of god the blood of the lamb the passover lamb jesus is the new testament passover lamb as we read in scripture so the early church fathers you know are are only really linked to the early christian church like what did it look like the early christian church and not only are they um, indispensable witnesses for us right um for the teachings of the apostolic church that's like the apostolic era right but they're also great witnesses for us of the authorship and authenticity of what the scripture teaches about jesus in the real presence in the eucharist so uh the early church fathers which we call them uh testified to the apostles preaching what they preached what they wrote um some some of these are eyewitnesses because they lived so close to the apostolic age uh they actually lived and they knew uh some of the apostles so this is the remember we call this this uh passing on of the faith you know the 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 passing on of the church the deposit of faith like if you could imagine the way i explain it sometimes is jesus you know put a thumb drive in his heart he he uploaded onto it or downloaded onto it all that needs that we need to know to be saved and he gave it to peter in the 12 and he said don't add to it and don't take away from it but pass it on from generation to generation to generation to generation And here we are today in 2022 in this advent time um, receiving the deposit of faith from jesus and in our catholic faith we have what we call the magisterium it comes from that word magistra meaning you know the the magisterial office the teaching authority and office of our church you know which is the pope and the bishops right and 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 so we look at the, the scripture and tradition right scripture is written tradition it's what was written down as it says in the end of matthew's gospel not everything jesus said and did was written down or it's john or matthew but this whole idea of you know it's not written all down and so the church is a, is is passing on from generation to generation this teaching over the ages the understanding of what's been passed down has been expounded on but not changed or added to or taken from and so this is the role literally of peter of the bishops is to teach and talk about and share um, the faith to, to 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 give to you and i what jesus gave to peter and the 12 as we receive it from our current pope and bishops that doesn't mean that the Pope or the bishops are perfect. It doesn't mean they're saints. It doesn't mean they have their own opinions on things that sometimes are right and sometimes are wrong. But the, the, the magisterial teaching of the church, you know, is there. And sadly, at times, yeah, we do have popes or bishops or people or even priests or leaders in the church that will comment or make comments on uh, particular teachings that aren't in alignment with... Um, it's more their opinions they're not giving uh, authoritative teaching at that moment which is bad because it confuses the 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 church the the people it misleads it misguides okay so these early church fathers they guarded as i just shared and passed on the apostolic teaching from one generation to the next so without the witness of those who knew the apostles firsthand and who preserved and guaranteed their teaching, we wouldn't have the Bible today. Okay? So so we we wouldn't have uh, the Scripture today. Um, We wouldn't know that Matthew wrote Matthew and John wrote John since their names aren't included in the text. Um, We wouldn't know that St. Paul really existed and actually wrote the letters ascribed to him. Why? Because the early church fathers knew and passed on a lot of that information. So ignoring and denying the testimony of the early church fathers destroys credibility of the Bible itself. It is through these faithful witnesses of the apostles that we've received the gospel. The early church fathers are our only bridge to Christ and His apostles. The bridge is unmistakably undeniably catholic and this is where you can see the catholicity word catholic means universal so virtually every distinctive catholic doctrine is clearly found in the writings of the early church fathers from the first second third and fourth century you could find it um, every catholic doctrine in the first second third and fourth century you can find written in these early fathers and this includes which is why we're here today the real presence of jesus in the eucharist this includes his real presence it includes the masses of sacrifice remember when i say the masses of sacrifice sometimes those who misunderstand think that his catholics were somehow re-sacrificing jesus over and over or there's only one priesthood correct there's only one priesthood father michael participates in the one priesthood of jesus christ as every ordained priest participates there's only one priesthood it's the priesthood of Jesus there's only one sacrifice it's the sacrifice of Jesus and so this is what we teach when you come to mass you step into the one sacrifice of the one great high priest Jesus who comes to us sacramentally sacramentally mystically through the power of the spirit he perpetuates in time and space his one priesthood and one sacrifice why because he longs to be with us and invite us into that great mystery of faith in the catholic mass you hear us say the words the mystery of faith that's exactly what we're talking about the mystery of faith it's a mystery mysterium it's like you can't fully grasp or understand it there's a lot of mystery but our faith you know invites us into that mystery that god is the only still point in a still turning world god jesus christ at mass is the only still point meaning still in a still-turning world he's god outside of time and space man in time and space okay so in the early uh church fathers first second fourth century you're going to find uh the primacy of peter you gonna find intercessory prayer to the saints uh again we don't worship saints we we ask the saints to pray for us why because think about it the saints in heaven aren't separated from the church on earth the church is one church those in heaven are part of the same church as the people on earth and we're all one body if you know the liver and the kidneys they communicate you know we're one body the hand and the foot that gets connected so we're connected to those in heaven and just like I say hey grandma pray for me well there's saints in heaven that I could say can you saints of God pray for me and they could intercede for us on earth because it's on earth as it is in heaven right and so devotion to Mary you could find in the early church fathers. You're going to find purgatory there. You're going to find confession to the priest there. Again, you're not confessing your sins to Father Michael. You're confessing your sins to Jesus through the priest. Because he is the ordained priest. You know, as it says in Scripture, you know, confess your sins to one another. Right? Go and confess your sins. Okay, so many, sometimes people that are like... We would call them fundamentalists. Um, They like to think that that they've returned to primitive Christianity. However, if you look at the early church fathers, this is why I always say to people who don't understand the faith, you know, you got to read the early church fathers because that's the closest thing we have to after the Acts of the Apostles in that time, right? Um, After the, the, the early epistles of Paul and the Acts of the Apostles and however you know there's evidence in the early church as i said that proves and shows that these primitive christians these people right directly after the apostolic age the early church fathers early christians were very catholic in their life lived as christians and so john henry newman uh cardinal john henry newman who's he's famous for a survey about you know church history and stuff he talks in there there's a quote here it says that the christianity of history is not protestantism okay and now i have friends that are protestant um and my point of sharing this is obviously they they love the lord and they're great people of god but the word protest protestant what were they protesting they were protesting you know, and wanting reform in the church. You know, to protest heresy or to protest uh, uh, sins in the church is good. We, we all need to protest evil happening in our church. We protest any abuse. We protest anything that's against God's will for His bride, Jesus Christ, bride of church, right? We protest it. But and we, we we seek to reform it but when you protest something and reform it that doesn't mean you begin another you you discard the original and you start another which is sadly what's happened as you know there's over I don't know, 30 40,000 different denominations today because one church protests another church because they don't like this then they start another church and they start another church and they start another church and and The problem with that is is there's a lot of division in the body of Christ. There's a lot of confusion. But if we go back and we read the Scriptures in the early church fathers, we just humble ourselves and acknowledge what did they say? Um, We we don't have to, like, uh, manufacture ideas. They're written in the early Christian church through the early church fathers. So John Henry Newman says, if ever there were a safe truth It is this, and Protestantism has ever felt it so. This is shown in the determination of dispensing with historical Christianity altogether and of forming a Christianity from the Bible alone. Men never would have put it aside unless they had despaired of it. To be deep in history is to cease to be Protestant. And what he's saying basically there, again, I'm not saying this to attack Protestants. I'm just saying this because this is a quote he shared. Um, and I think it's important to understand if you really read the church fathers. Now, that doesn't mean that Protestants can't be spirit-filled. Like, I have a lot of friends that are Protestant that are way more Catholic than Catholics that I know. And what do I mean by that? You know, because you hear Protestants or non-Catholics sometimes talk about, you know, um, You know how we we, we're too religious right religion gets in the way of relationship well religion done well is actually a virtue religion done well actually properly defined is relationship centered on god if you if you have the virtue of religion and you're not like a pharisee or a sadducee and you're just kind of going like there's a lot of catholics that are just going through the motions well that is religiosity but true religion is a virtue and if people in true religion, the virtue of religion, are in deep love with Jesus Christ in a personal relationship with Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior. But again, I know many Protestants, again, who have that very strongly. And like all of us, we're on a journey. And, and I think it's important to like, okay, well, what does the early church say? You know, what does this church say about the Eucharist? What does the early church say about uh, uh, early Christianity and what did it look like? So I want to read from St. Ignatius of Antioch, okay? St. Ignatius of Antioch, he says this. Now this is in around 110 AD. He wrote seven letters to various churches um, on his way to be martyred in Rome. Um, and in his letter to the Smyrnians, uh, St. Ignatius describes those who reject the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. And here's what he says. He goes, take note of those who hold heterodox opinions on the grace of Jesus Christ, which has come to us, and see how contrary their opinions are to the mind of God. They abstain from the Eucharist and from prayer because they do not confess that the Eucharist is the flesh of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Flesh which suffered for our sins and which the Father in his goodness raises up again. Now, he also writes in his letter to the Romans, Saint Ignatius writes, I have no taste for corruptible food, nor the pleasures of this life. I desire the bread of God, which is the flesh of Jesus Christ, who, has, who was of the seed of David, for, and for I desire his blood, which is love incorruptible. Now, just a martyr was born um, in the time of the last apostle, St. John. So he died in Ephesus. Okay? Justin was converted in Ephesus around 130 AD, where the disciple of John instructed him. Okay? So he's considered a great Christian apologist of the second century. Now around 150 AD, there's another famous apolo- apology uh, to the emperor at Rome, St. Justin, the martyr, writes to St. Justin Martyr. So you just heard from St. Ignatius of Antioch in 110 about the Eucharist. I mean, they're even using the word Eucharist, and he's talking about, you know, they abstain from the Eucharist in prayer. They do not confess the Eucharist as the flesh of Jesus. That was Ignatius of Antioch. Now we're going to read Justin Martyr in about 150 AD. We call this food Eucharist, and no one is permitted to partake of it except one who believes our teaching to be true. For not as common bread nor common drink do we receive these. But since Jesus Christ, our Savior, was made incarnate by by the Word of God and had both flesh and blood for our salvation, so too, as we have been taught, the food which has been made into the Eucharist by the Eucharistic prayer, which is what the priest prays, set down by Him, and by the change of which our blood and flesh is nourished is both the flesh and the blood of the Incarnate Jesus. Can't get any clearer than that from Justin Martyr in 150 AD. Okay, now, right there, you even see allusions to the liturgy. You know, if you ever read the Didache, it's called the Didache, it's it's the, you could see elements of the liturgy even. Like when you come to Mass today, those basic elements of the mass are found way back in these days so it's so amazing about how our church passes down this beautiful beautiful gift how blessed are we as catholics to have jesus you know look at him here he's truly here that's not bread you're seeing now that's the the substantial presence the body blood soul and divinity of jesus which our church teaches about transubstantiation Which was later developed in order to understand what these early church fathers are describing the church has always believed um, from the apostolic age into the early church fathers now we're going to read from saint irenaeus okay so saint irenaeus is another important early father of the church okay he was a bishop of lyons and lived in 140 to 202 a.d okay so, St. Irenaeus studied under St. Polycarp, who was a disciple of John the Apostle. So, do you see the passing on? So, Irenaeus studied under Polycarp, who was a disciple of John the Apostle. St. Irenaeus is considered the greatest theologian of uh, the immediate post apostolic period. So, one of his masterpieces is called Against Heresies, completely just demolishes heretical views that threaten the post-apostolic church around uh, 195 this is what he wrote Saint Irenaeus pray for us here's what he wrote he Jesus was declared the cup a part of creation sorry he Jesus has declared the cup a part of creation to be his own blood from which he causes our blood to flow and the bread a part of creation he has established as his own body from which he gives increase to our bodies so you see these elements here in these early or sorry early church father you know post-apostolic period where they're talking about jesus in the eucharist a lot the real presence and this is like way way back read 1 corinthians chapter 11 and paul says you know some of you are dying because you received the body and blood of the lord unworthily and it's like okay they were actually even setting etiquette for the eucharist in corinthians i mean this is this is amazing really i mean when you think about how far we're in 2022 right now uh you know it's like wow Now, I want to read from you, St. Cyril of Jerusalem. Um, He wrote a catechetical lecture in 350. And he said, he, Jesus himself, therefore, having declared and said of the bread, this is my body, who who will dare any longer to doubt? And when he himself has affirmed and said, this is my blood, who can ever hesitate to say it is not his blood? Do not therefore regard the bread and the wine as simply that, for they are, according to the Master's declarations, the body and the blood of Christ. Even though the senses, senses, are human senses, suggest to you the other, let faith make you firm. Do not judge in this matter by taste, but be fully assured by faith, not doubting that you have been deemed worthy to receive the body and blood of Christ. I mean, it's, it's, it's so beautiful, isn't it? Now that's in 350 AD. So it's obviously a little bit after the apostolic age. But you can also see in that writing from Cyril of Jerusalem some development in the teachings of the Eucharist. Um, again, these are early church fathers who are proving the early Christians firmly believed in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. And if you notice what Ignatius said in that scripture, uh, or sorry, in that writing from St. Ignatius of Antioch, which is in 110 AD, he was personally instructed by John the Apostle, by the way, right? And just the martyr near Irenaeus each had direct contact with John's disciples, remember Polycarp, John's disciple. Um, these three men are first and second generation disciples of the author of john who wrote john chapter six unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood he says it over and over and over and john chapter six 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 says they basically said we can't believe this and they walked away you know it's interesting you know, obviously the, the paragraph numbers wasn't put in at that time but look how it ended up. John six 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 is actually they walked away from Jesus's teaching on the real presence in the Eucharist. So read John six again. Um, who could be in a better position to tell us whether Jesus is speaking literally or figuratively about the need to eat His body and drink His blood? I mean, this is the earth. no one no one better than those in the just after the apostolic age, the apostles. Who knew John the Apostle? So these witnesses are as close as we can get to the Apostolic Church. Their testimony is irrefutable and unmistakable. The Christian Church believed in the real presence from the very beginning. Okay? So, my brothers and sisters, this is exciting. Um, as Catholics, we're blessed to come to Mass every day and receive the Lord. And we come to our adoration chapels. Next time you come into the Adoration Chapel, think of this teaching that I just gave you, um, that I reflected with you. And by the way, I'm basically just reflecting with you on this um, beginning apologetics book here. Uh, It's got a lot of these teachings in it and writings in it. Um, It's about explaining and and teaching and defending the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist and explaining it to people so they can see and understand. So, Jesus, we so love you. As we look upon you in your real presence, we pray, O Sacrament Most Holy, O Sacrament Divine, all praise and all thanksgiving be every moment Thine. O Sacrament Most Holy, O Sacrament Divine, all praise and all thanksgiving be every moment Thine. O Sacrament Most Holy, O Sacrament Divine, all praise and all thanksgiving be every moment Thine.